Welcome to Hymn Talk, a discussion of hymns, music, and singing in the life of the church. I'm Zach DeBrima, and with me is my brother Alex. Alex, how are we doing? Doing well. Very happy to be here. Alex, I wanted to read something from Psalm 40, verses 3 through 5. Uh, When Aaron and I, my wife Aaron and I, got married, this was actually our wedding verse. Psalm 40, verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Alex, we're going to be discussing that verse 3, which says, He put a new song in my mouth. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good verse to inform our thoughts uh, as we discuss the topics of the topic of singing new songs in the life of the church, first question: Do you think it's important that the Church of Jesus Christ to write new songs and to sing new songs? Yeah, definitely. I, I, for a variety of reasons, you're talking about uh, not just introducing to your church songs that are unfamiliar to them, they maybe not heard before, mm-hmm. but you're talking about should should people mm-hmm. be contributing to the catalog of songs that the churches? Yes. So, yeah. I, well, I th- but both of those questions, but yeah. Yeah, well, I certainly think you should introduce songs to your church that are good, if even if they're unfamiliar to them, if they're new to them. But I'm also very thankful for brothers and sisters in our day who are writing new songs that are uh, uh, theologically rich, that are edifying, that are well-written and good songs. Song, I mean, there are songs being written today that I think churches will be singing 100 years from now. Mm. And I bless God for that. And I think it's important for a lot of reasons. I mean, I mean, one of them would be, I think, I think it's legitimate to say there is an imperative we have in the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Sing to the Lord a new song. Mm. And in, in Psalm 40, verse 3, it does seem that, that, that the psalmist is writing about um, a, a song that he has out of new experience with the Lord. Mm. So like he's been through the miry bog. He's been through some great trial. And the Lord has somehow proven himself faithful and uh, he's seen something new of the Lord experientially mm-hmm. and he's going to sing about that mm. and and that uh, that's true for a lot of people mm-hmm. there, there are songs that we we need to sing in different seasons mm-hmm. the Lord teaches us new things and new songs need to be written to express those things and so yeah. so even though God as the Belgic confession says is passionless he does not change yes he still puts us through experiences that are fresh. He, he grants us new mercies each day. And out of those experiences, we ought to express fresh praise and new songs to him. Yeah, I, I was, yeah, that's exactly right. And that's the pattern in scripture, uh, you know, whether it's um, uh, God's people on the shore of the Red Sea after it's been parted and the Egyptians, have been, there's this new song that they sing. Uh, if it's Mary and Luke, one, I suppose, and, and I think Zechariah also sings a song there as well. Uh, new things as as we experience different things with the Lord. I think something of the, the, the novelty of the song expresses something of a vital living faith mm. and new expression to maybe old truths and things mm. like that. But I will say, in the way you asked that question, you said the Belgic Confession says God is passionless. That's another reason why I think we need new songs. Mm. What what the writers of the Belgic Confession meant by passionless doesn't 
mean the same thing that we would mean if we referred to someone or something being passionless. Mm, mm-hmm. And so one of the reasons you need to write new songs is because language is somewhat elastic and language changes. Mm. And and so we need to write songs, I think, in the vernacular. Mm. I think that's a very... Uh, I, I think if, if we believe that the Scripture needs to be translated into the vernacular, why would we not believe our songs need to need to resonate with the language that people are speaking? And so words change over time. The meaning of words change over time. The usage of words change. New words come into the vocabulary mm. and canon. And so um, I, I think that's another reason why new songs need to be written, to, to give voice to new generations. So in God's holy providence, you and I both were raised with a Blue Trinity hymnal in our hands. Bless and, the Lord, and oh that's, my soul. That's the hymnal we sang from that's every right. Sunday. What would you say to that brother pastor that... Uh, thinks, hey, why improve on this? You know, these collection of hymns that were written, you know, uh, 17, 1800s, this is a great base to sing from. Why do I need to add any new songs to this? Wouldn't say you have to. Hmm. There's something like 750 songs in the Blue Trinity hymnal. That's a lot. That's more than most churches. Have you sang all those songs? They're not all very good, Mm -hmm. but a lot of them are. There's a lot of material in that hymnal that's wonderful. And that, that represented the catalog of the church I grew up in, and, and we never knew to want anything different. Now now that church does sing some, some newer songs. But um, I would just encourage you. To, I, I, think, I think we are poorer as a church if we're limited to one hymnal. And I'll just pick on the Blue Trinity hymnal, which is my favorite hymnal that's ever been produced. But um, In Christ Alone is not in that hymnal. Well, I want to sing that song. Mm-hmm. I, I fully expect believers 100 years from now, if the Lord dares to be singing that song. Mm. A more recent song, His Mercy is More, is not in there. Before the Throne is not in there. A uh, song we'll be talking about, I think, today, Christ's Assurance to the Anchor, is not mm-hmm. in there. These are good, rich songs, and mm-hmm. I want to sing them. So, um, And, and the, the, the fact is that there are songs in a hymnal like the Blue Trinity hymnal that will, will always be sung by the church. Some of the songs in there will fall out of fashion and fall out of date. Mm, mm-hmm. And um, I bless God that there are new tunes being written to mm. old songs. Uh, there are songs I, I, I would never sing out of the Trinity hymnal when I was a kid and growing up as a young Christian because the tunes were terrible. Mm. And since then, people have written better tunes, and mm. now I can sing those songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So we can move from the question of why why should we sing new songs to the question of how do we sing new songs, particularly how do we introduce new songs into the life of the church? What, what are some effective ways we can do that? Yeah, I think uh, practice. Um, I think picking hymns that are uh, designed by the author to be congregational. And so the, the, the fact is lots of songs are not designed to be congregational. Lots of songs are. We'll find the ones that, that are proven to work in congregational settings. And um, and then uh, seek to implement them in your church in whatever way works for your church. I mean, just, you can be totally... This is one area where I would actually encourage pragmatism, hmm. um, which is not something I often do, but be pragmatic. So, so for us, what that looks like is um, if we're going to introduce a new song, what's the most... We introduced a song called Afflicted Saints to Christ Draw Near. Mm-hmm. Uh, forget who wrote that song. I know Connie Dever wrote the the new chorus. Uh, we introduced it, I think, first at a prayer meeting. Mm-hmm. Maybe one or two small group leaders taught it to the small groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I know, sent it out to our church body like a YouTube clip. Um, and after all of that, we sang it on a Sunday morning. And it went great. And when we introduce new songs, very often we'll sing it two Sundays in a row. Or definitely not more than two Sundays apart. So we'll try to sing it a lot more in the first couple of months 
we've learned it. Uh, I feel like this is some of the most obvious stuff I could possibly say. <laughs> no, it's just not like you don't have to go to seminary to to know this. Like, I think practice and well, here's get the good. thing. Uh, I think many pastors, I think many worship leaders, they fear trial and error. Mm. They they fear uh, introducing yeah. a new song that I'm very passionate about, and I introduce it to my people, and it falls flat. Yeah. And what I would say is we lean into that. You know, learn from that. Well, and I'll just commend you as our song leader. You have done a very good job of making us sort of comfortable trial and error. Mm-hmm. So, so you will frequently say things like, you know, we're, we're going to try this out. If it doesn't go well, we may not continue to do it. Hopefully it goes well. We're going to try the first couple of times. Might not be so good. I mean, you just, again, obvious stuff, you know, but you're not, you're not afraid to, to create a culture where failure is okay. I mean, we've had many songs we've tried to introduce. They haven't worked. We never do them again. Mm. Or we do them three times, and we're like, this is just not taking mm-hmm. off. And we, All right. But, I, you know, pick pick a high-return, low-risk songs, songs yeah. you, you think will work and, and get good at practicing as a church, learn how to practice as a church, and find your ways to do that. Yeah, and I would also encourage pastors and worship leaders to not get drowned in the sea of feedback, but pick four or five people oh, in the so church good. that yes. can offer helpful feedback. Hey, this song does work, or hey, you need to bring it down a little bit in tempo or in the key or something like that. That's such a good word. And and again, so intuitive, but but still very important to say that, that everybody in your church has an opinion about the music, mm-hmm. you know? Everyone, everyone either liked the song or did it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Well, you're right. F- find the four or five people that are that are especially good critics mm-hmm. and good um, at giving feedback, and um, who can just tell you, "Man, Zach, that song didn't work." Man, mm. I say let's let's throw it out, you know. Yeah. Or trust me, we if you do that two or three more times, our church will get it. That's that's a great word. Mm. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the topic of new songs, introducing new songs, why sing new songs, the importance of more people to write new songs before we move into our hymn of the week? I hope that more and more people feel feel encouraged to write new songs. If nothing else, write new lyrics or write new tunes and let other people set lyrics to them. We're living in, uh, I think, a golden age of hymnody. Uh, there's been a few in the in the, in the since the evangelical awakening, and we're living in one of them right now. So find good sources that produce new songs. If you have people in your church who are uh, maybe have a gift of songwriting, resource them and encourage them if you're able to. Um, but but I'm I'm very bullish on a lot of the songs that are coming out now that, that we're singing in church and other churches are singing, and uh, the the uh, at least the immediate horizon uh, looks bright in the world of hymnody. Great. Well, we can move to the hymn of the week, and our hymn of the week for this week is "Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor" by Matt Papa and Matt Boswell. I'm very excited to speak about this hymn uh, today. Matt Boswell and Matt Papa are some of my favorite hymn writers around today. Matt Boswell was actually one of my professors at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I was delighted to have him as my professor. Uh, As far as the song works, there there are four verses, and the the title is the topic, uh, that is Christ being the anchor of the life of the Christian. A few things to note about these the verses of this song is the first three verses are all spoken from the first person singular. So Christ is sure, sure and steady anchor. I will hold fast to the anchor. It will never be removed. That line is repeated after each verse. And the first verse speaks to Christ being our anchor through just general Christian experience in suffering and sorrow. Uh, the second verse speaks of Christ being our anchor 
through despair in the war with sin. Uh, some of my favorite lines come from that verse. But then the third verse moves into Christ being the steady anchor through sorrow in unbelief. Uh, you can see as a subtext in that verse, maybe Mark 9 with uh, uh, the man uh, with a demoniac son saying, help my unbelief, Lord, help my unbelief. Mm-hmm. Uh, but speaking of sorrow in unbelief, and then very, I think, profoundly in the fourth verse, the voice changes to p- the plural. So it changes uh, from I to we, mm-hmm, us. Mm-hmm. And let me read that verse. It says, Christ assured steady anchor as we face the wave of death. When these trials give way to glory, as we draw our final breath, we will cross that great horizon, clouds behind and life secure, and the calm will be the better for the storms that we endure. So this fourth verse, it speaks to believers as they celebrate Christ as their sure and steady anchor through suffering and how the weight of that suffering uh, will only make their their forthcoming rewards sweeter. Mm. It's preparing them for an eternal weight of glory. Mm-hmm. And beautifully, Matt Boswell, Matt Papa add this tag to the end of the hymn that says, Christ, the shore of our salvation, ever faithful, ever true, we will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. And they sort of do a play on words here, which I think is just glorious, where... The whole hymn has been talking about Christ being the shore, S-U-R-E, and steady anchor. And then in that last tag, they say, Christ, the shore, S-H-O-R-E, the shore, like an ocean shore of our salvation. So they move the position of Christ in that verse. So Christ moves from a fixture of function in the life of the believer, that is something that is grounding our faith, to actually a fixture of delight. Christ being our all, Christ being everything that we're (laughs) seeking uh, in this life and the life to come. So I just think this is a beautiful hymn, so much rich material here. Every time I sing it, I come with a new line that is, just becomes a treasure to my heart. Well, and, and I remember the first time we sang it, it's like the congregation immediately got it. Mm. And um, I think it was Casey who came up to you and was like, we got it, we're good, sing out all the time. <laughs> this is this is in the, the catalog forever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the response from the congregation in singing this song, they love it. Yes. And, um, Many members have commented that, that this is among their favorite songs. And I love that line, uh, that Christ is the shore of our salvation. The idea that Christ is bringing us, there's all this this, this, this uh, you know, sailing imagery and the anchor and the boat and all that. But he's, he's bringing us and keeping us. And he's, he's part of what's getting us to mm-hmm. our reward. And he's, he's where we're headed to. Mm-hmm. He's our destination. He's the shore. Mm. Uh, which is a, a beautiful picture. It's interesting. I think somebody could probably write a dissertation on nautical imagery in hymns because <laughs> there's, there's just like so much out there, whether it's, you know, um, the you know the, the story behind it as well or Christ mm-hmm. a solid rock. There, there, there's all sorts of imagery. There. And, and maybe one of the reasons for that is that one of the foremost hymn writers is John Newton, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he made frequent use of nautical imagery with, with a sailor's background. Mm-hmm. It is well, of course, the story there um, as well. So yeah, that's definitely true. One of the most powerful images in that vein uh, for this song is in the second verse. Christ is sure and steady anchor while the tempest rages on. When temptation claims the battle and it seems the night has won, deeper still then goes the anchor. Though I justly stand accused, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the writer of this hymn is, is imagining 
uh, in deep travail over their sin, deep despair over their sin, deep struggle with their sin, succumbing to sin, sin winning the battle. And what what is Christ's posture in the midst of that trial? Mm, mm-hmm. Christ is going deeper. The yeah, anchor is going beautiful. deeper. Their justification is rooted in him. I just think it's a beautiful picture of, of Christ's uh, uh, his work in our lives, even in the midst of sin. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm reminded of another nautical line from one of our favorite hymns in Emmanuel, in uh, Christ a solid rock, uh, in every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Mm. You know, it's, it's beautiful imagery, and I think thinking of Christ as an anchor for the ship uh, does him great credit, great honor. Alex, any other lines of this song that jump out to you that you find particularly helpful? You know, you took most of them, man. I, I think um, that I, I've always loved that line. I think it was Rex Blackburn who first kind of drew my attention to it in a class he did. But but you just sort of acknowledge it as well, that line, the calm will be the better, the calm, C-A-L-M. Mm-hmm. The calm will be the better for the storms that we endured. The idea that the, the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared, you know, the glories that are to come, that there's something about experiencing trial and experiencing difficulty and hardship that makes the calm at the end, the reward, as you said a moment ago, eternal life sweeter because we pass through uh, uh, various hardships and trials and sufferings. I think there's a very obvious way in which that's true, you know. Um, even even in, in a more colloquial sort of way, no pain, no game, you mm-hmm. know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, but 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 there, I think, is a very uh, a profounder way in which that's true, that probably we don't completely understand right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So we have verses that speak in that way, and again, there's a very obvious way that resonates with us. And then there's, I just feel personally, there's a there's a, a way in which spiritually that's a little bit out of my reach to understand what that means. Mm-hmm. And I do think in eternity we're going to appreciate. There's something about the quality of life we'll enjoy that was enhanced and expanded and beautified and uh, by by the sufferings and even some of the defeats mm. you know, we endured in this life. Mm-hmm. And I think this hymn captures that well. Mm. Do you think there's a specific part of a service this song lends itself well towards? Almost every part of the service. I, I think it's excellent as a song of preparation before the preaching. It's excellent as a song of response. After the sermon, I think it's a very fine way to start a service. Mm. I think it does great praise to Christ in this song. Uh, I think it's very good after a prayer of confession and an assurance of pardon. There's almost nowhere where it doesn't fit. I love personally, if, if I have pointed people to Christ, as I try to do in every sermon, but if there's been a very pronounced way in which I've directed people to Christ as the foundation for faith and encouraged people to hold fast to him, cling to him, I love singing it once I've stepped down from the pulpit personally and once once the word of God's been preached it's a great way to end the service and uh, but it, it fits everywhere I think. Mm-hmm. well friends we're out of time Alex thank you for your time thanks ma'am <laughs>